Hello, hello, hello. We are so happy to have every single one of you here. Champions is an interview series that features Stanford alumni who are championing diversity and inclusion as members of the LGBT community. We hope to provide a record of for future generations for what it was like to be LGBTQ in 2022. Bars, you hear that? Bars. We also want to provide our listeners with insights about how to make an impact in diversity and inclusion. Um, before we dive in, actually, I wanted to give a couple ground rules and um, just let you all know that all members are going to stay on mute for the duration of the interview. It should be a, uh, approximately 20 minutes. Following that, we're going to have a time of Q&A, so feel free to use the chat throughout this entire conversation where you can submit your questions. Once we get to the Q&A, we will grab questions that you've asked, and then I will ask them, and we'll go from there. Um, but now let's go ahead and jump into it. My name is Jerome Bowen. I graduated from the illustrious class of 2007. My pronouns are he and him, and I will be your host for the day. This is Jay Marie. Jay Marie, you graduated from Sanford in 2010. Um, Jay Marie's pronouns are they, them, and holy. And with a degree in theater and performance studies and a minor in African and African-American studies. Jay Marie, how are you? It's so good to have you here today. Hello, I am good. I'm grateful to be here and just excited to see folks in the room, see folks uh, ready to pull up and, you know, maybe ask some questions at the end. But yeah, just really grateful to be here. Then let's dive straight into it. Let's start off real general. Let's get broad for a second. What was it like for you to be at Stanford? Talk to us a little bit about your Stanford experience. Yeah, I mean, my Stanford experience was, I would say, really rich. You know, I got to do a lot of exploring i got to do a lot of you know participating in multi you know multiple different communities um and and i felt really held you know i was i was in uj my freshman year in ujma um and then tara um kind of became like another home base on campus the co-op i'm not sure how it all looks right now but that was what it was like in my day um, um yeah it was felt really healthy you know, i did some sports and, and i did some club sports so i, I kind of had a big range of uh experience and so I, I really enjoyed overall i would say my stanford experience amazing so let's talk a little bit more about how it was for you being black and queer at stanford yeah yeah i mean that also has many different kind of facets to it, but just shout out to everybody who was a part of my time there, um, specifically around anchoring it um, inside of Black and Queer at Stanford, which was specifically a group, you know, a, a, a club. And I do believe, you know, it comes and goes, but it's still around. So just shout out to everybody who's in the lineage of that community. Um, but being Black and Queer at Stanford, it was, it was uh, you know, I just want to bring everybody back to like 2006, which is when I started my time there, right? And I just want to point out that, you know, just in the beginning of this conversation, right? Gender and sexuality and all that was kind of, it's just a very different time, a very different kind of public mainstream conversation. So um, while I was, you know, like many folks exploring myself, my my gender, my identity, my kind of which communities feel like home to me, right? Um, I think not only did Stanford provide a lot of access to different communities, international folks, right? Um, black folks from all over the country, all over the world, including, you know, many queer folks from undergraduate, graduate, all these different kind of assets that we were all bringing, right? But I would say I, f I found community at home in both black communities and in queer communities in some ways, as I mentioned, Uj and Tara, for example, right? Um, and Miralees and the you know athlete community, there was a lot of joy and, 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 and camaraderie, you know, and you might not think that, but that was true for me. And um, I would say 
similar to how I do it now, you know, black and queerness specifically though is, is a priority for me. It's like where I learn who and how I wanna be um, comes from communities that claim the lineage and the, and the kind of identity of blackness and trans or queerness at the same time, right? That allows you to kind of pinpoint what you're trying to t trying to say. And so that was a big part of my Stanford experience, but um, continues to be important to me just because I, I felt so held and I, and I was so grateful to see other scholar athletes or other musicians, other people who were just varied in their gifts, but not wavering in their kind of c commitment or clarity of, you know, I'm black and queer and that's part of my, that's part of the deal. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I felt very grateful to have those examples around me. So let's talk specifically about an, a pivotal moment during your Stanford experience where you felt um, affirmed in that or where you really had to grapple with that idea. Yeah, well, I'll also bring this back to 2008. Um, mm -hmm. That was the year that Barack Obama was elected for president, right? Was was up for election, um, his very first election. And that was also the year that California was trying to decide whether or not they wanted to, you know, in that election be the the kind of... Um, pillar in the in the wind around like gay marriage and if they were going to pass it on a statewide level and so the year that um I would say this is the pivotal moment that I would bring in right is the year that Barack Obama was elected but same-sex marriage even though it wasn't necessarily my personal priority at 18 right didn't pass um it, it still provided a, a lens into like what it was like to be both of those things at the same time and I and I do want to draw attention to the fact that California is actually very rural in a lot of ways right there's really big cities but there's a lot it's a huge space there's 30 plus million people in that state, right? And so there was a, a, an exploration moment, right, for all of us to say, okay, well, let's be humble because California didn't pass same-sex marriage and Obama won. So I felt both, you know, grateful and proud and excited and also kind of overcome by like what felt like a, a really big distinction or like a kind of a big, not a breaking point or anything. I still felt distinctly part of both communities, right? Or felt really clear about my identity in both, in both facets of it, but, um, yeah, that was a pivotal point. And I would say what made it pivotal was the fact that, one, at that time I had a motorcycle. So just shout out to everybody who knows, who remembers that time. You know what I'm saying? I was swagging around campus. I would still be swagging around campus, motorcycle not, or not. Okay, but yeah, so I had a motorcycle. And I remember we all were just, sorry, my street people swing it. Okay, uh, so. We had to have the motorcycle moments. We had to have right. <laughs> that sound effect. Right. Song, yeah, perfect timing. But yeah, so there was, you know, protests afterwards, right? Because we were like, we don't want to say that this is not important to us. You know, as college students, we, we kind of rile up about just about anything, honestly. And so at that point, it was it felt important to, to put a, our, our out, you know, our names out there as like folks who were saying, no, this this is a, a, a break for us in terms of what we would have liked to see. And and we were um, near the quad, but but down a little bit at, at that kind of intersection of death, if folks still call it that. Um, and we had a protest, we did kind of like a sit in and I remember leading some chants and I had my motorcycle helmet, my jacket, and you know, it was just kind of a, a moment where I was like, okay, well, you know, the swag is not gonna stop because of these votes or whatever, but here we are holding space, you know, walking around campus, making our voices heard. So I would say that was a really powerful moment and you know, still friends to some of the with some of those folks to this day for sure. So grateful for those moments that we had and shared together. It sounds like activism actually is a huge part of your life. Um, from there. I mean, I could list a bunch of things that you've done since then, the Black Trans Bike Tour, the Trans March, um, Movement for Black Lives. Do you feel like that was a, because you said that was a pivotal moment in your time at Stanford, do you feel like that is something that informed where you ended up moving from there? Oh, I definitely think I learned a lot about, like I said, kind of holding my, holding my, um, my stances, I guess, right? And not trying to, 
think of it as something I needed to fold in one way or the other, you know? And I think, um, you know, many of us who are of this kind of timeline, late aughts, whatever you call that, um, graduating kind of, th- kind of time, you know, we, our 20s, I would say, uh, give or take a few years, right, was, was really marked by the fact that, I mean, honestly, today is 10 years from when Trayvon was killed, right? Like, and that's almost mind-blowing. Um, but, but that's basically what the last 10 years has been, was uprisings, because there was a particular rhythm to black death that we weren't okay with, right? And that it's hard to say that you are, aren't okay with it after someone has been killed, but you know, many, many uprisings have, have sprung because of our, our community collective kind of no, right? Our, our collective no at like, you know, Black Lives Matter, yes, but also at no, our no's at work, our no's at home, our no's in community where we're saying, you're actually not gonna brush the blackness under the rug anymore, right? Like I know both, you know, post-racial was a conversation with Obama in, in office, but the reality of it was we're saying, I think collectively as a country, nationally, internationally, folks have been saying, we're not okay with the ways that blackness is, is still currency in these negative ways, and we wanna interrupt and intervene. And so I think I definitely witnessed some of the many ways to do that at Stanford, but what I would say I really witnessed was people just being unwavering, right? Whether it was athletics, whether it was your, you know, your scholarship, there was just a, a sense of, of robust kind of bravery and clarity about, you know, even if we were all 18, 19, 20, trying to figure it out, there was still this sense, what Stanford I think gives people, right, is the sense of you belong somewhere, even if you don't know if it's Stanford, but you belong somewhere and you really gonna, you know, carve out your space. And so I really feel like I got permission to do that. And I think I got many, I, I received many examples and really several models about possible ways to do that. And again, without having to fold or um, imagine myself as only a part of myself being allowed to arrive wherever it is I was, I was going. Well, let's talk about different parts of yourself. So I would love to get into a little bit about your gender identity. Um, you, right now, your pronouns are they, them, and holy. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I would say I feel pretty unique in my experience around gender because given, as I mentioned, that that decade of of Black, you know, transformation and of community holding a particular, sorry, holding a particular kind of line collectively or learning how to do that, I also think that gender and, and, and kind of sexuality has become more mainstream, right, than it was in the, in the late aughts, early, you know, 90s even, of course. And so my experience has been that I, I've just been witnessing permission. You know, I've been witnessing kind of how people move um, without regard for other people's thoughts, right, without regard for like the spiritual kind of what you were supposed to be taught and all of that. And I had my own version of yearning in the, inside of that. But I, I really feel like being a part of this generation has been transformative in terms of who belongs under the categories, right? So for me, growing up, I wouldn't have said that I was like yearning to be a trans person, yearning to be a man, yearning to kind of uh, d- d- be a d- have like a decisive gender marker, which I'm sure most 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds, some are, you know, some are saying, this is what we got going on, this is what the plan is, you know what I'm saying? That wasn't me, I was a kid, I was chilling, I was having a good time playing, playing girls basketball, you know what I'm saying? And I don't feel like that was necessarily my arc, but as an adult, because of the permission and because of the communities that I've been embraced by, I would say now, a lot of people kind of identify me as a trans person, and I think I, I can sense to that, but not in the way that um, I would do like a, a lot of DEI trainings on it per se, because there's a lot of things that I haven't had to endure around that identity. But I do know that I learn from folks um, the most 
the, most, the folks that I learn from the most are black and trans specifically. And so I think given my face, given my shoulders, given my voice, there's a lot that I got to learn and be embraced you know, for that then in this time period where we are right now, it has put, been put under the, like, the trans umbrella, which is beautiful to me. And I've had to kind of like learn how to let that be beautiful as opposed to like feel any shame or, or kind of like, I don't want that to be part of my story. Because the reality is, if black trans people have loved me and have held me, you know what I'm saying? I want to I want to be close to that community. I want to be close and and I want all of us to be closer to that community, right? So, given that I don't necessarily think I've um struggled through lots and lots of things, you know, there's never a you know a bar to being trans, but there are some conversations that folks, you know, uh have to fight through versus others kind of getting welcomed into. So, I my pronouns are then them because I think I fit inside of that space. I always have my name is Jay Marie for now, as far as I know, will always be, unless I change it to holy, which it's just there, you know? But I wasn't planning on doing that, and I don't feel the, the urge to do it now, so for me, they, them is kind of like a way to acknowledge that the name that I've been given since birth, the name that I might, you know, if I change it, I might choose a different name, but it would probably still be in this space of like multiple genders at once kind of thing. Um, and then holy for me is, is uh, a little bit more musically based as a, as a where it came from, but the reason I chose it is because, you know, I, I know that for a long time, and many of us can relate, like we got told that we're not holy or there's some part of us, you know, if you're saying you uh, are, are sinning or back in the day, that was what it was called, you know, that was kind of how people started conversation. And so for many of us, we're like, no, I mean, I might be cuter than you, but that's really all we got going on. You know, it's not a lot that, you know, I, I think God and I are, God and I feel cool. You know what I'm saying? If yeah. you're not sure about how you and God are doing, that's a separate conversation, right? But you're not gonna get in the way of me and my God or me and the spirit that I know pushes me forward, you know? And no. so for me, the holiness is a, is a claiming of that. You're so right. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. It particularly jumped out at me because, you know, in the black community, holy has a lot of meaning and a lot of representation. And there is a large conversation around being queer and being black, being queer, being black and black, culture being based in religion. And so to be able to claim an identity is not necessarily something that is not necessarily something that our uh, that that grandma and auntie are out here being like, yeah, okay, I'm all right with they and them. You know what I mean? And and then with Holy on top of that, I, you know, I already heard, I already heard Auntie in the back talking about, uh-uh, uh-uh. Get away with me with that not safe stuff. Come on, you better you better talk right. you better talk to you better talk to somebody else about that. Right. I don't, don't think worry about that. <laughs> right, right. And right. so I always wonder, you know, and so I, I love to be able to talk to people about how they've been able to reconcile um being black, being queer, how you've been able to reconcile being black, being queer, and um utilizing a word like holy to represent you and the work that you put out into the world. Yeah, I mean I would say I will I will speak one quick point to the lineage of like my full embracing of it. One um, music project I did ha was with a reverend and we were a reverend and the Holy Ghost, right? But I was the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost was kind of like, and made it seem like it could be anybody, right? But it was really a dual project and I didn't mind not being named at the time. It was just kind of like a, let's keep it moving. This feels cool. Let's try it out. 
because we wrote an album together, it was all very quick, um, like in like a month or two, and then we toured on it for a year. And so I had a lot of people, you know, experiencing me as this like Holy Ghost figure almost, but Holy Ghost as like a group, as if it wasn't just a duo. So when we wrapped up that time, because you know, it happened fast, closed it fast, it was a beautiful thing, grateful to have been a part of that, that um, offering to people in, in that spiritual moment, really. And, and I think that that project actually healed me a little bit, right? Because I got to work and run around the country with this reverend dude who is a preacher, is a speaker, you know, was smoking and cursing. And I was like, okay, okay, interesting, interesting. Most of us don't experience a lot of reverends like that, right? So, um, and Reverend Sekou, that's his name. He, he also has um, been a, a, an artist, I think, in residence or a scholar in residence at the King Paper. So, you know, it was beautiful to see another scholar who was doing their own thing in this way and, and claiming their own, you know, spiritual path and practice and saying, you're not going to mess with my relationship with my God, right? And so watching that, witnessing that, our 75 shows that we did that year, you know, and some of them were with preachers, some of them were with mega churches, some of them were with, you know, small seminary colleges. And so I really got to be in different spaces and, and kind of wrestle with my story uh, of spirituality and the spiritual violence that had been enacted upon me, right? And, and witnessing the ways that I had already kind of overcome some of that even before meeting him but being in these spaces where people were still honestly shackled right by some of these teachings and some of these really it's more of a mindset right it's we think about like evangelical kind of world it's it's really a mindset it's it's less it's more it's less spiritual and more of like a a mind hold right and so as i witnessed the work that i had already done to remove that from my mind i saw how many people were just also feeling a permission based on just that first kind of layer and then once i wrapped that project up and, and I was no longer like the Holy Ghost. I wasn't running with that title because I was like, I mean, that's a vast claim. I'll claim it, but it's not, it's not, a, it's not one that I'm, I'm going to run with forever. But then I was like, actually, that holy part, I think that works. I think that makes sense because the other thing, just logistically, my name does have a dash in it. It's already got kind of an artist name thing going on. But I was like, let me just add a little something on the end. You know, so I go by J. Marie is holy um, in performance state so people can, you know, see my name, know my name, but also know that I'm trying to bring a little something extra. And the holy for me is really... You know, I can get really overwhelmed and, and frustrated with myself or kind of get stuck when it comes to sharing these these beautiful offerings that come through me that spirit brings to me. And, and I um, really wanted to put myself in a constant relationship to the fact that I need to remind myself that I'm holy. Right. And that if I don't speak from that place, no one else is going to regard me in that way either. And that could be a, a teaching thing that people just haven't seen it. But at the end of the day, it's me and my body by myself that I am responsible for. And so that was for me and is for me a way to claim that and to make sure that I'm walking in that at all times. So I have one more question before I open it up to Q&A. So for those of you who are with us, if you have any questions for Jay Marie, please throw them in the chat. Um, but I wanted to get into how you have taken that claim and, and put your work, put yourself out into the world um, and, and the impact that you've made. What is, what is that for you? Well, I would say the first thing I'll say is that I, I kind of use that claim as a way to to stay curious. Um, I think anything can be holy, right? I think anybody can be holy. Um, two of my main mentors I would speak to speak into the space right now are Sonia Renee Taylor and Adrian Marie Brown, right? Um, Adrian Marie Brown wrote Pleasure Activism and talks a lot about you know our relationship to pleasure. Can we be satisfied, right? Are we? Is that possible? Are we able to acknowledge what we like and love and and not only can we acknowledge it, but can we move from kind of a, a sourcing from Audre Lorde, right? The erotic, the space of once I felt that, I, I'm never going to give that kind of feeling up again, right? 
and that's you know a lineage that black women have traversed right because people have taken a lot from i would say us because i do still feel like black womanhood is part of my story in my life um and i love black women and that's that's just it right um but Sonia, um, Sonia Ray Taylor talks about the body is not an apology, right? And like, how are we making peace with the bodies that we have? In the same way that a toddler loves their body, right? Doesn't have any kind of messages in their head about my thighs are too thick and oh my goodness, yeah. right? And so yeah. from those two yeah. folks, in addition to the Audre Lorde's and the James Baldwin's, right? Like, I really feel a deep, um, both gratitude and grounding in my birthright to to claim my body and to claim my myself, you know, and to and to <laughs> claim my body, claim myself, and to push myself to stay in relationship um, that is, stay in a relationship to myself that is as holy, right, and as accountable as I can make it, right, so that I'm not putting anyone else's uh, thoughts or anyone else's um, presumptions, you know, scarcity mindset stories onto me. It's it's a lifelong piece of work, right, but it's it's very much in the, in the vein of, you know, we can't transform the world unless we transform ourselves, and so for me, that's my constant work. And I hope to be, a, you know, a light, a beam, a, a, a lighthouse, and, and just to keep keep working alongside those of us who are on that same mission. I love that you said that because it really speaks to our journey, our journey around self discovery and kind of really standing, staking claim in our in our identity. I remember, um, and it's interesting. Somebody asked um, this question, and I'm glad because I wanted to get into it. Um, you when we were talking before this, you talked a little bit about traveling to South Africa and how that experience shaped your journey in um, really owning owning that identity. Yeah, yeah. So I did get to travel. I mean, shout out to, you know, not only the international community at Stanford, but also the, the international opportunities, honestly, right, to be a part of uh, the larger world out there and not to not to be limited to just the Bay Area, which is where I'm from. Um, or hey, come on, yay area. <laughs> Castro Valley, ooh, ooh, okay, no, but um, that's probably the only time and the only time I will ever have ever, ever said that, and the only time I will ever say that. But, <laughs> we got it. Uh, we got it on recording. You guys, you yeah, heard it here yeah. first. Give <laughs> me a meme. Watch out. So um, yeah, travel was was powerful for me. I, I did play rugby uh, my sophomore year, and then I um, went on to play for the United States national team, um, under twenty national team for rugby, which is just like a kind of shot in the dark opportunity. Really beautiful powerful uh, thing to be able to rep, I suppose, this wild country, but also in this like national and international stage was pretty cool. Um, we just did a match in South Africa the summer after my sophomore year. And because that trip was just so short and it went by pallet, I decided to travel um, and do my thesis um, on uh, South Africa, kind of the relationship between South Africa and, and the United States, particularly around, you know, the political kind of realities as well as the um, you know, some of the, the gender, the, the queerness, the ways that they were managing that post-apartheid um, as they were discovering, like, you know, the, the, the role of self-governance for their, for their country. And so, um, yeah, I got to travel a couple different times, and I really just felt enriched by that opportunity. Um, and I've since gone back to South Africa and just was able to call upon that experience. So it just was really powerful, honestly, all around. Yeah. So, actually, you know what? Someone actually asked about the... Um, you were talking a little bit about accepting um, this identity as trans, you know, for whatever that is. And mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like part of that took you into uh, the Black Trans Bike Tour. Um, mm. and I wanted to hear a little bit about your experience with that. Um, one of the questions that we got was, talk to us about the Trans March. And so I'm like, look, mm -hmm. we can get them both in there. Let's go. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'll clarify. I didn't actually plan the Trans March specifically. It was actually the first ever Trans March, but I did see it while I was a statewide organizer at the ACLU, which kind of automatically put me in conversation with national activity. Okay, and we out here. You know what I'm saying? It was a good it was a good gig. Tried it out, tried it out for a bit. And it was nice to get my feet wet on policy, right? Because a lot of times queerness and transness is really diluted to like individual pronoun arguments, right? right. Or like right. people who just don't want to assume or or um, live into the, the reality that like trans people exist, you know, um, and even young trans people exist, which is where we are right now, right? People are saying, oh, worried about people's futures. And so the reality is, the more we are trusted as a young person to discover and to determine how and, you know, who we are, the clearer our lens will get as we get older. It doesn't mean that we're stopping the world, right? It's actually saying, I'm going to live my whole life as self-determined as I possibly can. And there, the, the beautiful thing about, you know, young people and, and and the medicine that we have now is that there's nothing is irreversible so far that we've worked through, you know, and, and the medicine is just really a, a wide open space. But essentially, the march, I saw it on my radar, we I thought about bringing some kind of Missouri based folks there. But just the way that the program was working, I wanted to keep my focus here um, at that time. But I saw a really beautiful opportunity to for me, reclaim the, the biking part of my story, which my mom got me into biking. Um, shout out to all the black women who bike, you know what I'm saying, who, who already pushed back against, oh my goodness, this cat. <laughs> who really pushed back against, um, you know, stereotypes and, and um, you know, carve out space for their own wellness. That's something that I act actively learned from, right? But the Black Trans Bike Tour, just to say it quickly, was a, a bike ride from Philly to DC, which is where the Trans March was, that first Trans March that was happening on a Saturday. So we. I brought people, fundraised about fifteen thousand dollars. Brought people to the to the city of Philadelphia, which is a very you know trans the Philly Trans Wellness Conference is there. It's been there for like 15, 20 years almost. So that's a very trans city that I knew we would be received in. Um, so the blackness, the biking, and then the tour part was because we were going from Philly to DC. So in that week, we got there on Sunday, did some you know group building, and um, had a send off dinner in Philly and then had a couple other meetings, dinners over the course of the week. So we rode 40 miles a day, adjusted the bikes, fed ourselves, and then would have a, a gathering with folks. Um, and everybody was really grateful to see us pull up. So it was both uh, a, a, an occasion to celebrate blackness, an occasion to celebrate transness, an occasion to celebrate being active and being self-determined, which a lot of times people you know, pat themselves on the back for being like, oh my gosh, trans people are alive. Let's remember that, right? Oh, wow. And for me, as I mentioned, being grateful to have learned from very living trans folks, not them, I don't, I, when I tell you, I don't quote Marshall P. Johnson. It's not because I don't love the lineage, it's because we have people here alive right now to quote, right? And so for me, the Black Trans Director was to get us in relationship and in community with the, those of us who claim these lives and claim these, these kind of paths and want to continue to learn from each other, right? So we had these kickbacks, we had a big party with two cakes and two live bands on Friday. And it was the place to be, let me tell you, because the Saturday parties were cute, but ours was cuter. And so Saturday, <laughs> it was nice to be around people. It wasn't all black people though, right? And, and white trans people take up a lot of space. I'm, I'm just gonna say it right now. And hopefully as we move forward and this is archived, that will not be true as we watch this moving forward. But um, yeah, so being black and being trans for me was just so, uh, such a it's been a journey and it will continue to be a journey to like articulate and hold it in the way that feels best for me but the reality of it is like that's who has given me the most permission to acknowledge and love the hair that goes out of my face naturally right to love the way my voice sounds you know and to right. like not fold or to not kind of leave any part of me aside because i'm trying to i'm trying to die whole you know i was born whole i'm trying to die whole so let's you know what i'm saying i want to keep i'm going to stay intact the whole time for me that's that's it all right, so I got one last question for you and then we're gonna wrap it. How can, how do you think that others, the people who are on this, people who see this later can 
um, make an impact, like use their body, use their voice to make an impact as far as pushing, um, pushing our identity forward, pushing culture forward, um, especially that for, um, for the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and I'm actually going to tie that into this question that I see in the chat because it feels very similar, which is, you know, what would I tell other LGBTQ and black students at Stanford today to live into one's life fully right within that intersection. And what I would say is get really clear about the moments when you feel loved, mm. right? The moments when you feel most, most that you're able to love and hold something in yourself that you're like, wow, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really grateful for something that I'm capable of, right? Get really clear about what that moment in that space feels like and then go towards the people that make you feel that more, you know, and that may not be people who are black and trans that may not be people who are LGBTQ and black right. But the reality of your ability to kind of hone your life and to hone your community with certain commitments in mind means that it, it might bring, you know, a, a group of those folks together or bring, you know, bring people together. Don't be afraid to do things that have never been done if those intersections are important to you. Right. And do it in a way in such a way that people coming feel loved and feel grateful for the space and not necessarily reprimanded or as if their relationship to their body and their spirit is wrong, right? Really, I would say, instead of saying, you know, why don't you know my pronouns and why don't you move that way? The reality is just like we've learned from kind of like the white supremacy conversation and, and shaming people for that, it doesn't really work, you know, to, to shame people for what they know or don't, like what they've never learned, right? What, what I think works better and what I believe is part of my work and the lineage that I hope to stand in is that I want to love you into changing. I want to love you into like seeing that we all deserve better and that you deserve better too. And that you, you're not loving us because you don't love yourself. Right. So I want to, I want to fill that gap as much as I can, not just for any random stranger, but really in the sense of my embodiment and what I'm committed to. And so I hope that that is something that can, you know, be done for anybody at any intersection, at any stage of life, um, you know, which is to just love yourself, like, and be honest, with people who love you about the places where you're still growing too, right? It's okay to not love everything about you. I My name is literally holy because I be forgetting, okay? I be talking down to myself. My therapist is like, why are you doing that, you know? And I'm like, I just feel like, you know, in society, I've had to unlearn a lot, right? So shout out to everybody else who's still unlearning. And I just feel grateful to have learned from so many of us who are not, you know, get, not taking no for an answer or not allowing any part of them to be left aside, left out of what they're up to. So thank you all for your <laughs> for your lessons and your learning. I see people in the chat right now who I've learned from Marcus, Corey. Thank you. Seriously. And thank you. You know, that it's um, I can't say that enough. You know, it's so important to have different people who we can see who are representing the culture, who are stepping up and, and being unapologetically themselves. You know, when we were talking earlier, you had said that, you know, my name is holy, my work is holy, and the work that I create is holy and worthy to be put out and shared with the world. And I appreciate you for sharing your work with us right now. Um, and I wanna leave you all with that. Our work, our work, ourselves, our bodies are holy and we have the opportunity and our work is worthy of being shown and seen by the masses. So if you're sitting here, you put it out there and you get it out there and make sure that people see it and hear it. Anyway, I wanna thank you so much. I wanna thank everyone else for joining us. Uh, my name is Jero Bowen. I am here representing Stanford Pride and we wanna thank Jay Marie. Um, thank you all for attending. The larger goal of this series is just to help future Stanford queer students understand what it's like to be queer in 2022 and highlight the differences and different experiences that make up this community. Uh, our next interview is gonna be scheduled for March 26th. We've got Zaya Bomani, class of 06, um, and who's gonna come and talk to us about um, 
what it was like, what it's like being a civil rights attorney, a legal scholar, and he's working at the intersections of race, gender, sexual orientation, human rights, and the environment. And thank you all for joining. We are so happy. And thank you again, Jay Marie. I can't wait to see you all on the 26th.